Well, good morning. My name's Joel. For those of you who haven't met me before, my beautiful wife, Alicia, and I, we run the Connections team here at Novation, and I have the privilege of bringing the end of this book that we've been studying through. So I'm going to pray for us. Father, be with us this morning. Stir our hearts. Move us in passion so that when we leave today, we will not be able to walk through this week without being an impact on others. That we won't be able to take a step out of this door without thinking, who can I bless this week? Who needs this light that you've put inside of me in this dark world? Who needs to know of your love, to hear of your love, to experience your love? Because, Father, as we sang this morning, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And I would rather that be way sooner for most than it may be. And I get to be a part of that in their lives. Because I'd rather them not go through the torment and the discouragement of living life without you if I have the chance to share what you've done for me with them. Be with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So where we're reading from today, if you brought your Bible, 2 Timothy 4 starting at 9 through the end. We're wrapping up a series that Scott and Brian has helped us with. It's called My Two Sons. So Paul wrote two letters, actually wrote three, two to Timothy and one to, to Titus. And he called both of these men his sons in the faith. So that's what we're looking at is Paul wanted to pass on what he knew and he had brought these two young men up with him. And we're going to read through the end of how did Paul finish this letter? This book in the New Testament is the last known written book by Paul. It's the last known letter that he wrote out that we know of. When he wrote it, he was in prison, and we know that this was near the end. So this has special significance because it's kind of the last thing. That's why I thought of, what would my legacy be? And some of those quotes that we started with is, if I knew that this was the end, and I think Paul did know this was the end, what would he have wanted Timothy to know? So that's what we're finishing. Keep that in mind as he's wrapping this up. So I'm going to read through it. You can follow along. It says, Do your best to come to me soon. For Demos, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for my ministry. Tychicus, and I, Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Also the books and all of the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me. But all had deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me, and he strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his kingdom, his, his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus 
Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with you in spirit. Grace be with you. And that was the end. What I want us to remember this morning is I want you to see Paul's humanity in this letter. So he's been teaching Timothy as he's going through all the different things. And this part is some of the humanity of Paul. Because it really shows Paul needed things. He needed relationship. This was the part where it was a little more serious. And sometimes when you read through it, you go, you may be able to gloss through it. But I don't want us to do that because I think you'll miss some of what God has for us today. So the question as I was reading through is, what do we have when it's all over? When you're at the end, Paul's near his life. What do you have when it's just all over? And what did Paul need when he had poured himself out? Last week when Brian was teaching, he talked in verse 6 how Paul was beginning to pour himself out. I think he knew that this was near the end. So what did he have? We look at Paul, and here he is sitting in his retirement home on the beach. Right? No. Paul's not sitting in his retirement home on the beach. Paul's sitting in prison with nothing. Here's a man who dedicated his life to Jesus and proclaiming him. Sometimes Christianity could teach falsely that life is going to be easy that we're not going to go through trials, that we're not going to suffer. Don't buy into that lie. Because as we unpack what happened to Paul, we're going to see that sometimes it's a much different story. Because Paul wasn't sitting there drinking wine, eating bonbons. Are bonbons a thing? I know they used to be. It's kind of what you're supposed to do when you retire and you just give up. You just do that for some reason. That's not what he was doing. He's sitting here in prison. And like I said, he had nothing. Well, almost nothing. So I want to look at three things that Paul did have while he was here. Because we need to understand these three to understand how he could be okay with where he was. The first is that he had relationship with God. As we read through, Paul said, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. The only way he gets through this is because of his relationship with God. If he didn't have that close and intimate relationship... There's no way that he could make it through. What else did he have? He had relationship with others. While it felt like many had abandoned him and left, there were still those that were in his life, some that he had commissioned to be other places. So he was alone in prison, but some of it was just because there was distance and people were there, were at different places because of that. He also needed a few comfort items. What did he want? He wanted a few comfort items at the end. He needed a coat. It was freezing. Winter was coming. He needed some practical things. He also wanted his books, things to remind him of God, the parchments. So there was things that Paul needed. There was a humanity side to him. So next I want to unpack, what is a glimpse into the Christian life of someone who we are to follow? Paul in 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, said, follow me as I follow Christ. So let's follow Paul. Let's do the life that brings that hashtag blessed life, right? Like that's Paul probably saying while he's in prison here. Like, this is so exciting that I'm in prison. No, he's not thinking that. 
Is he content with it? We'll find out. But this wasn't the blessing that sometimes get preached, that if you become a Christian, if you do the things that God wants you to do, that everything's going to be great, that life's going to be easy, that 2020 is not going to happen. Wait, it already did. So let's take a look at those. The first one on your list, if you're taking notes either on the app um, or just by yourself, the first is that you may be abandoned. Verses 9 through 12. No one was with Paul at his first trial. And here we find that only Luke was with him. How many of you feel like you've been abandoned? Either by friends or family at some point in your life where you were stuck and you had to go by it all by yourself, that you were all alone. I think many of us can relate to this. So I want to take a look at what happened to Paul. Remember we said we're going to follow Paul, right? So let's see all of the great things that happened to him. We find this list of amazing things in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four. Obviously, you may not be able to pick up that I'm kind of sarcastic. So that was sarcasm in there. Let's find out what he says. With no one with him, this is the life of what Paul walked through that we're to follow him in. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. 39 times getting hit from his people. At what point do I give up? Is it the third time that that happens to me? Is it the fourth time? God, this is enough. I'm not doing this anymore. Like I give up. I've tried. I've given you everything that I've got. And yet this continues to happen to me. A fourth time, a fifth time. No, we didn't give up. What kept happening? Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Big rocks thrown at you with the purpose of killing you. At what point do I give up and say, God, I've had enough? Well, there's more. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. 36 hours, alone maybe, there may have been others, stuck at sea. I don't know if we're going to live. I don't, there's no way to go. Like, I'm at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there is a daily pressure on me for my anxiety for all the churches. Please pray for our pastors, because what Paul's talking to here is what they carry with them always. All of your lives, all of the stuff that happens to any of us, a pastor uniquely carries an anxiety that comes with them for wanting to care for all of that. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Paul had every reason to throw in the towel and to walk away. I think if any one of those things happened to me, I'd be like, I'm good. Like, I'm good. Like, I can't do this anymore. But there's got to be a reason why Paul was able to make it through. There's got to be a reason that he had the strength 
and the courage after that first beating to say, I'm going to keep doing it. And the reason is that he knew whose he was. We find that in the next chapter. So we're reading in Corinthians. This is in 12. He says this, and this is key. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. This is the Lord talking to Paul. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will not boast all the more glad, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with the weaknesses, the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, and the calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How many of you ever felt abandoned? What are those times that you can think of? It could have been this year, it could have been last year, where you really feel like God wasn't even there. That others weren't there for you the way that you needed them to be. While there may have been people around, you were alone. Maybe we can look past the current situation and see how this weakness, this discouraging time, was really an avenue for Christ to shine in our life. Rewrite the narrative. How many of you, has this been a really hard year? Nobody? <laughs> That's for me. Uh, this spring was really hard, not being around other believers. Like, I, I didn't realize how powerful it was for me to simply walk in this building to be with other people. I was battling depression, just really dark, negative thoughts. Like, I didn't even want to watch church. I don't even want to, like, oh, it, was a, it was a rough spring. And at the time, I did not do a good job of inviting Jesus into that and looking at that as a chance where Christ could shine. In a lot of ways, I kind of wallowed, like, eh, I don't want to deal with this. Have you guys seen that shirt? It says 2020, and it's got five stars and only one of them's filled. That says one star, 2020. <laughs> like, don't go there, right? Like, this has been a hard year for a lot of us. But I do think we have a chance to rewrite the narrative. I think that we can remember that Jesus is still on the throne. But don't wash it away. The things that have happened that are hard, it's not simply a matter of like pushing it away and saying, oh, I'm not going to deal with that. That's not how we get through this. Jesus wants to come and meet with us in this. He wants that relationship, and we're going to see that as we keep unpacking. So here's the good news. If we follow Paul, we may be abandoned. That's not really good news. But there's a second part that may happen if we follow Paul, and that's that if we follow him, we may end up with nothing. That's your second point. This is not a happy message, in case you figured that out yet. It will. I mean, there's aspects of it that are. You may end up with nothing. Verse 13, Paul asked for very little. Here he is again, not in his mansion. Here he is in prison with one person with him. And what does he ask for? Not a vacation house, not a new car, not a boat. He says, can I have a coat? Because it's really cold. And can I have some books and my parchments? That's sobering. That's a sobering place to be for me. Because sometimes when I'm striving for things, I'm thinking, man, and there's some scripture that can even seem to contradict where it's like, my job is to create a legacy for my kids so that my generational kids have something. And how do I find the balance in this? 
Because I think both are good. The bigger thing is, is are you following after Christ or not? Because some of us are going to follow after Christ and we're going to end up with nothing. And some people may follow after Christ and they are blessed with, who knows, maybe it's 12 kids, maybe it's a lot of money. Like, you'll find yourself blessed in different areas. But we find out that he didn't have much. So I want to look at other scripture. What does other scripture talk about? Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. Are you ruled by things, by needing more money, by needing whatever it is? Or do you need more of Jesus? And do you need other people to know about Jesus? Is that where it is? What are you striving for today? Are you actively giving up your resources? When I say resources, a lot of times our minds first go to money, and that's not necessarily what I mean. Are you actively giving of the gifts that God has given to you? Maybe you're really good at playing on stage, picking up one of these instruments and just worshiping the Lord. Is that an area that you're actively giving of what God has given to you? Sometimes it is finances. Maybe the Lord has blessed you. And maybe you've got extra. And is your hand open to where God put a pile of money in there? And he goes, hey, give some over there. And give some over there. Are you like this? Are you like this with the things that God has given you? I need to hold on to them so I don't lose them. Parable of the talents, right? Like, I've got to hold on to this. So I was studying this. One of the things that came to my mind is that the fruit of the Spirit is best when others benefit from it. How many times have I prayed, Lord, help me to like, feel the fruit of the Spirit, to be more like you, without stopping and realizing is the reason why I want more of the fruit of the Spirit so that I can bless other people. Is the reason why I need to be closer to God so that I'm more gentle with my kids that are driving me nuts. Is the reason that I need more of the fruit of the Spirit so that I could bring kindness to such a dark time. This world needs our kindness. And we can try. We can try as hard as we want to rise up in our own strength and to say, I'm going to be the kindest person ever. And it'll last for a little while. But I think this world will come along and try to just snuff you out. Unless we're connecting it to Jesus. And the closer we are to him. I'd like to brag on our home group because this year has been, I love our home group. We can cheer them. They cheered the first service too. It's great. Our home group, this is just an example. So again, like take it for what it is. Our home group has the opportunity to bless four different families this year financially. It's been incredible to watch. So the way that it happened was a couple families, there was some medical needs, a couple families we just wanted to bless. Um, another family recently had to adopt a baby and it was like, what are we going to do? Like, but they stepped out in faith, and I just said, so a few of us, every once in a while, whenever we kind of find these needs, throw out a little thing on our home group, like group text, and say, here's another opportunity. If you can give, good. If not, great. And one of us will usually spearhead it, so everyone can send, them, send all of the money anonymously. So some people, it's small amounts, and some people, it's been giant amounts. 
And over the course of this year, for those four families, we've raised $2,000 to be able to hand out and give. That is God's love in action. And it's always small. None of us, while I say it's big, I mean, it's, for the most part, I don't think that anybody, it was, it, it put them out too far. It stretched a lot of us to go, yeah, I want to give that amount. But it was God's hand moving through us into other people. And that, to me, is what's so powerful because it's not us holding on to it. And it's so good. Because some of us may end up with nothing. And what better way for me to be able to bless somebody else who needs it than to try to hold on to something. And things aren't bad. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I think you guys get it. So let's keep tracking, right? So there's three things that we saw. The first is, if you follow Paul like he followed Christ, we can be abandoned. Yay. We can end up with nothing. The last is, is even stronger. You may be betrayed. Alexander the coppersmith, verse 14 in the passage, he straight up betrayed Paul. They, we assume at one point they were working together to advance the kingdom, and something split, and there became a big divide, and he came after Paul. It wasn't simply a like, oh, we disagree on this. It was like they became, I mean, in Paul's words, he said, let God deal with him. And he warns Timothy about him. So this is someone that betrayed Paul. So as I looked into scripture, I was trying to find, okay, where else have people been betrayed throughout scripture? It's happened a lot of times. The time that I came across and that really stood out to me, um, I'm going to read this passage. And it leads into, to me, one of the worst betrayals of all time. It's from John 13. It says this. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God, was going back up to God. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments. And taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. When I read through this and I was going to include it, the, the picture that God really showed me was simply this. Here's Jesus. Loving them to the end. And he takes the position of a servant. And he grabs Judas's feet. And he looks him in the eye. And he had the power to stop everything that Judas was going to be able to do. And he chose not to. 
Instead, he takes his dirty feet and he begins to wash them. One of the most intimate things that you can possibly do with another human. And he's washing the feet of the man who's going to betray him in just a few hours. And he loves him. And next, he comes and he gets to Peter. And he grabs Peter's feet. And Peter objects. He said, no. Not just my feet. You will not wash my feet. And Jesus says, then you can have nothing to do with me. And he says, then wash me from head to toe. Here's another man who is one of Jesus' closest who would later, in a few hours, deny him three times. And Jesus had warned Peter of this. And Peter said, not me. Maybe some of these other knuckleheads. Not me. I'm Peter. I'm the one who, in a few hours, when they come to get you, is going to pull out my sword. And I'm going to cut the dude's ear off. I'm going to say, you've got to come through me if you want him. But Jesus knew. And he reached into their humanity. And he was betrayed. He was left alone. Church, who has betrayed you? There are people who have done things to you in this world that are unspeakable. That have hurt, hurt, hurt so bad. Think of their mind. Think in your mind. Think of their names. Picture their face. Feel the hurt of it. Not just to feel the hurt, because there's scripture that says, Blessed are they who mourn, because they will be comforted. Have you ever actively invited Jesus into some of those pains of the people who have just let you down more than ever? I know it hurts. It hurts me. But blessed are those, are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. When we invite Jesus into this, we're able to be comforted. He's able to come alongside us, not with some, do it, just push it aside, it'll be fine someday. No, with a true, like, I want to walk through this with you mentality. And for where there can be reconciliation, have you sought reconciliation? You see, that's the story of the Bible. Jesus creates us. We walk away from him, and he comes back and gets us. And I think he wants to see that here. There's another powerful verse that I hope really stings where it needs to. It says in Matthew, it says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar... And while you're there, you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. And then come and offer your gift. I had to do this recently. As I was preparing for this and this came up, I know that there is someone that I had offended. And I knew that I wouldn't be able to come. Today, this is one of my offerings. I'm coming before Lord offering this to you. And I couldn't do that before first going to this person. 
And we needed to have a conversation. And I needed to repent and I need to apologize. And I'm sorry that this happened. Because I knew I couldn't stand in front of you today without that. Now, is it fixed? No. Is it better? Yeah, I think we took a step towards reconciliation. And that's what I could offer at that moment. And my hope is that another day we'll take another step and we'll move. But there was an offense there. So where have we been trade? Are we looking for that? Here's where the good news comes in. So we may be left alone, and we may not have anything, and we may be betrayed, but there can still be a hope, right? And that's what we're going to look at here. What I wanted to do is I wanted to see, okay, this is Paul's last letter. He may not know that, but he's writing. He's got to be thinking it. Because even if there's another letter to come, I don't know. This could be very it. He's in prison, on trial, probably going to die. What is he wanting Timothy to know? What is it that we would want someone to know if we knew we were at the end? There's two things that Paul was able to hold on to. If you're taking notes, it's God's love and care. He knew God's love and care on a personal level. And if you're struggling this morning, that's where I'm going to point you to. I'm going to point you to, do you really know that God loves you? Do you believe it? Because I know it here a lot of times. Yeah, God loves me. Jesus loves the, like, I've been told since I was this big. There's a lot of times in here I don't believe it. I think God is far away. Do we really believe it? I want to come to another story about Peter. And to me, it's so powerful of Jesus' love for us. Remember, Peter had denied Jesus three times. So Jesus gets arrested, and Peter's following after him, trying to see what's going on, but kind of staying at a distance. Three different times that night, they said, hey, weren't you, Peter, like one of his close friends? No, that wasn't me. One time was a little girl. I think you're Peter. That, that wasn't me. The third time it stung because he remembered what Jesus had said, and the third time the rooster crowed. Shame. If I'm Peter, I'm feeling so much shame and guilt and discouragement at that point. How could I have done that? I said I never would. That's the backdrop. So here Jesus is, and he comes out of the grave. And one morning he's eating breakfast with some of the disciples, and it says this. When they finished eating breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs, do something. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Probably getting discouraged or frustrated, I would. Maybe I shouldn't put that on him. He said to him, tend my sheep, do something. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This was Jesus reaching into a man who, I don't know if it was weeks, months, I don't know how long it was, may have been holding on to such grief and pain 
from turning his back on the man that he said he would never turn his back on. And this was Jesus reaching out to him and saying, I'm restoring you. I need you. I need you to do the things that we were doing together. Now you're going to do it on your own. Don't be put under that weight of shame and guilt. Rise up, Peter. Be with me. This was that reconciliation for him. Where are there things that you have done in your life that you've pushed God away and said, I can't do it? I'm no longer qualified. Know that Jesus has paid the price for those right now. And if he was here, his desire would be to kneel down in front of you like he did the disciples that he loved so much and to grab your feet and to take the water and wash and tell you that you were clean and to take the towel and to dry them off and to look into your eyes and say, I love you. Let's do this. Let's do this together. That's why Paul and Peter, as he moved forward, could do the things that they did and have the things happen to them that they did. Because they knew that love. If all you get today is that, please press into how much God loves you. The other thing that Paul had was God's love and care and his relationship with others. This one's pretty fun. So he had Luke with him. One of the things that you may have skipped as I was reading through it, because I didn't know about it, was that he asks Timothy to go get Mark and bring Mark with him because Mark is useful for ministry. So if we read in Acts, well before this happened, there was a group who were going and Paul and Mark was one of the people in, in the group with Paul that he brought with him. It was him, Barnabas, and several others. And at one point, there was a disagreement. Paul had a disagreement with Mark. In a lot of ways, Mark had let him down. And Paul said, I'm not doing ministry with him anymore. And he wanted Barnabas to come with him. And Barnabas said, no, I'm going to go with Mark. And there was a split. So these four men, you've got Paul and Timothy, Barnabas and uh, Mark, had a split. There was a disagreement, and they went their separate ways. This, to me, shows at some point there was a powerful restoration. And that's what Paul's calling out here is it was important to him. He reconciled. Mark is useful for the ministry. I want him to know that. I want him to be with me. So this is such a powerful part of this. As Scott started this series at one point in it, he talked about how we all need a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy in our lives. We need a Paul who's gone before us, who we can look after, and for some of you, that's getting harder and harder, Phil. I'm sorry. But there still probably is a few. That may not be your role. But what your role is, is what you've done for me, is one of those gifts, is to be a Paul to others. And we still all need Barnabas. We need people that are in the same walk of life as us, who understand what we're going through. And we still need Timothys. So grateful that one of my kids is named Timothy. That was really helpful, because I've already got mine. 
So who are those people in your life? Who are the people that you're looking at saying, I can learn so much from you? Do you have the humility that it takes to say, listen, you know more about life than I do? As in my 30s, I didn't have that humility too well. I thought I had arrived thinking, man, like I'm getting, I know what I'm doing, like worse than the teens, right? Like, oh, my teenagers think they know everything. Do you have the humility it takes to reach out to someone that's further along in life and go, help me? Do you have the humility it takes to be with other people that are in your similar stage and say, help me? So this part's pretty cool. I'm, it's, it, it was really a neat thing that God put on my heart to do. And I, I want it to bless all of us, and I think that it will. What I did is I reached out to several of my Pauls, different people, some here in the church, some all over. But I reached out to them, and I asked them this question. I said, if it was the end, if you knew either I was going to be done or you were going to be done, and you knew there needed to be some kind of word of legacy passed on, what is it that you would want other people to hear? What's that last little bit that you would want someone else to know? Because that's Paul right here. He's thinking, this is my last time I get to send this out. And he's hopeful that he sees someone else, like that he gets to see Timothy. And but he doesn't know. So for some of you, just receive this as a blessing. Because while actually many of you know a lot of these people, I'm not going to say their names. Um, because I just think it's powerful to hear what other people want to bless you with as they were blessing me, because that was the idea. So some of you may want to put your hands open as I'm reading through. There's several of them as I'm reading through them and receive this blessing from people who are further on than where I am. Because these are the words of encouragement that they wanted to give. Here's the first one. It says this. It says, please don't forget that you have everything you need that your Father in heaven is head over heels for you. Church, risk believing that these things are true. Some of you may find yourself resistant. My encouragement is that you're aware of the resistance and you set it aside and say, Lord, I want to receive these blessings that you're going to give. Your heavenly Father is head over heels for you. Everything is done and nothing can separate you from his love now or ever. Please live in the joy and the freedom knowing that you are his very specific work of art. A unique gift from him to the world and to those others he loves so much that he's put them in your life. This one's more of a warning. Comes with some strength. The end is not near. There are the plans and purposes of God to be revealed in all of this. Evil and wickedness have been foisted center and front. We are on a new trajectory that is moving into things we have not seen. It will be our finest hour to sweep up the darkness from the, from the streets. I hang on Matthew 14, 24, that the gospel must be preached to all tribes and tongues and then the end will come we are in the birth pangs of many sorrows I think we are advancing in the end times the doors of history move slowly on its hinges there is more than this and that is in the end 
There are nations, eight billion people out there that touch the very heart of God. There is so much more on the heart of God. People who are not listening and people who are. And his desire is for all to be saved. So I think that we are at least 15 years away because I have 15 years of assignments. We need to empty our quivers of all of our arrows and take none with us. This person said, I truly agree with Paul when he said, there is only one race worth running. I have come to believe that truth. So what would I say to you at the end? That you would always be surrendering. Surrendering to him. His way in the end is the only way. And we can trust that God is truly good. Just let him love you. Receive it. And out of that will flow love to everyone in your sphere. Because I believe that there, I believe I only want to hear one thing at the end. Well done. I bless you. You were truly favored by the Father. Another. Number one, spend as much time as you possibly can giving thanks. Number two, spread the gospel of Jesus Christ every chance you get, whether by mouth, text, or even Facebook. The world needs to hear. Live each and every, number three, live each and every day in anticipation of meeting your creator. Number four, don't spend a minute looking back. You are who you are and where you are, just as he intended. Preach sound doctrine. There is a coming judgment. Preach the truth. Preach a warning. If anyone spends more time listening to social media or the world's media, you may become deceived because you are not allowing God's truth to impact you. Bring all of who you are. Because what you bring is beautiful. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Always focus on love. It's actually pretty basic. Love God and love other people. The core question is not right or wrong. The core question is always love. And the last one's a song. I'm going to read it to you. Cradled in my arms, I've held you. And I've loved you with each day. Passing by, sharing joys, sharing pains through the sunshine and the rain. I can't believe it's time to say goodbye. I don't know what the future brings you. But I hope that you will keep heaven as your goal. For we taught you how to pray, made sure you knew the way. So remember my request before you go. Just be there. When I finally make it home and I stand before the throne, just be there. When I look around to see 
if you are standing next to me, just be there. It's not an easy road you're traveling, but every place you go, Jesus has been. And when you've found you've made a turn, forgetting what you've learned, you may have to start all over again. It's not an easy load you're bearing, but the trials of faith will make you strong, facing dangers unaware. He won't allow you what you can't bear. So my prayer is that the faith will make you strong. So just be there. When I finally make it home and I stand before the throne, just be there. When I look around to see if you're standing next to me, just be there. I want you to be there with me, church. And I want to be there with you. And I want all of Westminster to be there with us. I want all my family to be there with me. I just want them to be there. So I leave you with two blessings. The first is another before Christ. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Please at some point this week, picture Jesus on his knees in front of you, washing your feet, telling you how much he loves you. And the last blessing is this. It's what Paul ended with right at the end. May have skipped over it. Simple statement to Timothy. He said, Lord, may the Lord be with your spirit and may grace be with you. After I pray for us, we're going to release one row at a time, kind of like at a wedding so that we don't bunch up. But please stick around afterwards, fellowship. Thank you for being an amazing church. Be the light of Jesus this week. The world needs us to step up and to love and to be kind. Father, thank you for this morning. I thank you for the life of Paul and the hardships and the trial that just made him want to love you more. I pray that that's a testimony in my life, Lord. For those of us that feel abandoned, that you'll be close. That we'll feel your nearness this week, today, Father. And for those of us that don't have anything, that we'll know that we have you. And for those of us that have been betrayed, Lord, I pray that you help us to find the ability to love through the middle of it. Thank you that you made a way so that we can be there with you. That you reconciled us back to you when all hope was lost. We love you. We want to serve you this week. In Jesus' name, amen.